to 7th Level Bardcast. My name's Jason, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jared and Michael. We've been gaming together for several years in various RPGs. What we discovered from our hours at the table was how much we grew from that experience. Now we're here to share our unique perspective with all of you. Today we're going to cover the topic of session prep. Let's get into it. So, Jared... Would you like to go ahead and cover this topic on what we're going to talk about today? Uh, yeah, I can do my introductionary ramble, as is customary sometimes. Today, we're going to be talking about session prep. Uh, this one's going to be a bit weird, I'll be honest. We're kind of just going to tell you what we do and try and give you the tools we make use of so that you can do the same. Uh, there's no real right way to go around this, no real wrong way. It's much like some of our other topics. So uh, when we're talking about session prep, we do mean the individual sessions or maybe a short campaign. Each of us do this very differently, and it's pretty damn haphazard for me, at least. Some of the topics we'll be talking about are probably going to be time, materials, location, plot lines, things like that. I don't know if there's anything else to say on this. Good job, Jared. I'm just Thank going you. to keep... <laughs> so, that was a pretty standard introduction. Yeah, I know. I I didn't say help me for once. I, I, <laughs> I feel like uh, like he didn't feel like he was about to sink at any point there. <laughs> Questionable. <laughs> Somebody glug, throw glug, me. Glug, glug. <laughs> so, yeah. I think this is going to be more of a just a conversation between us. Normally we function off of a, a set of notes that we all have a chance to look at, but I think we just felt that this is something that we know enough about for our individual needs, and so we kind of just wanted to address it that way. I will say that one of the things that I looked at when looking at this topic was time management. So for me, a lot of it comes down to what do I have the time for? If I have the time, after I get done with the zero session, I will take a look at the material that I gathered from a zero session, and I will turn that into what material I'm going to write out for what I call a front load, or it'll be basically the campaign prep. If I have time to get most of my campaign ideas together, then I'll do a lot of that up front. And then kind of just do session prep as I go. But the session prep ends up being more less than the front loading. If I don't feel, though, that I actually have that time to front load and get all of my stuff together, I'll often just have one session's worth of material and then just move forward from there. And then keep going throughout the, you know, the story hook, just prepping before each session. So I do a little bit of both. My ideal situation would be to do some front loading and then in between uh, do session prep to kind of change some of that that front loaded material to, to match with what my players have changed the story to. So that's my ideal situation, but it doesn't really happen a whole lot. More often than not, I end up doing a lot more per session prep than anything. That's kind of how I look at it up front. What about you guys? I'm much the same. 
Uh, the most recent campaign I've run is, as we've discussed often enough, the Divided Coast one, which is very much a uh, width of an ocean, depth of a puddle. So I didn't have to front load, like, meaning into everything, but I did have to front load a lot of the map in case anything, if anyone wanted to go in a certain direction. I had to front load a lot of the uh, cultures and themes and uh, terrain that I wanted to do. But after that, it was pretty much uh, very much session by session, very much preparing for whatever the group sounded like they were interested in. I do want to say that something that I did and something that I do no matter what campaign I'm running is... 24 to 48 hours before the game itself, I will come up with at least one or two plot lines that are very small to shove into my next session. And they might not ever actually leave my mouth during the session, but I always have them available. Uh, for example, if they're inside a town, one of their party member has, has gone missing and they have to, uh, and they find out it's related to a noble somehow. Blah, blah, blah. It's just very short, like, one or two sentence plot lines that I can just drop in if I need to. This helps me stall, and it helps me uh, have just something for my players, and it just adds more to the environment if you do that. Also, I find that if I think of a game 24 to, tw or 24 to 48 hours before the game itself, I'm usually in a much better headspace when I'm at the table. So... Cool, I have some... That's my quick overview. I have some questions for you later, so... We'll let Michael talk, and then... Right Yay, really Mike do. gets to talk. So, for me... So here's me interrupting Michael. That's alright, um, I'm not paying attention. <laughs> for me, session prep is something that takes a few minutes the night before a game session. Uh, for the most part, I've created a a storyline for my campaign during the campaign prep in the zero session. I've got the NPCs that I want to use. And then what I will do the night before is I will set up, as Jared was talking about, story hooks of what might apply. Now, some of those I pull from background that I created during the campaign prep, but this session might introduce small elements of how those things might come into play. So, for example, if I'm running my World of Darkness game and I know that the players are going to be following a, a trail that leads them across an NPC that I've set up, that I want to use that NPC to set up a story hook, I will introduce that NPC during the session or hint at the NPC during the session. Sometimes it's even an overhood conversation in a bar or at a club somewhere that they are they might hear about these things i might even introduce them in the old standby of the news article but the first thing i want to do for session prep is to have something for the players to engage whether it's the first or 15th session i want them to remember what happened if they were in a earlier session and then jump right into the action sometimes that requires an interaction with something new or something that they've encountered before. So my first step is getting them right into the action. Uh, the second second thing is session prep includes 
you know, the creation of any new NPCs that they might come across. I might have names in my campaign prep, but when it comes to session prep, I'm going to fill out those names and give them a little bit of a background as to what their motivation is, who they are, why the PCs should even care who they are, and what effect they're going to have on the overall arc of the story. And then the third thing that I usually do is uh, player aids. So if I have new articles that are going out in the uh, the newspaper or letters or rumors that are coming out that are going to have little to do with the session but set them up for future sessions, I like to have that out there. So those three things are pretty much where I start when I, when I start planning a, a session. Okay. You covered some of the material that I was going to talk about when I was getting to the second part of my notes, and that's, you know, kind of some of the stuff that goes into it. So, I, and that's funny the way you uh, talked about NPCs. That's the way I did I talked about it in my notes, too. That's a good way to look at it. I mean, you, you want to, if you're going to be bringing in someone new, you want to just, you don't want to fully flesh them out, but just have some good information on them so that you can drop them in there and then kind of let them grow as the players interact with them. Yeah, and session prep for me seems to be a little easier if I've front-loaded my campaign prep. I know you guys were talking about a little bit of that, but session prep for me, if I've front-loaded and done a lot of work in the se- the campaign prep, session prep's a little easier. Plus, the way I present it to the players, they're doing a lot of the work for me by moving their characters in a direction. So I go off of what they want. I'm going to have a question for you, Michael, but I'll, I'll come back to you on it in just a second here. Jared, you talked about using plot lines to stall. <laughs> Uh, so yes. I have a question for you. So when you do some of your front-loading material, so you said you did do some of that, right? I actually did a lot of that. Like, I would say that we used maybe 15% of my front-loaded material. But so my question is, do you write some of those plot lines that you're, you you can throw in later for the stall? Is that... Yes and no. My first concern when I front-load is the world scenario and setting. These are things that are going to continue regardless of whatever the players do. It doesn't mean that the players can't interact or even stop them, but it means that they are always ticking by. Those I focus on first and foremost, because that's how I feel the world grows and naturally engages the player. But what I was talking about with stall tactics, I will work on later, and that is basically like, okay, there is rumors of a town that is devil-worshipping. The rumors of this is because another town nearby has been suffering, and they are blaming their suffering on said town. If you go to said town, there is possibly uh, a devil there, and it might have something to do with those rumors. It might not. Or it might be a red herring. And then I basically just kind of make a bunch of modules that I can just slip the tile pieces in or out, depending on what's going on. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I get what you're going at there. Yeah, I was just curious, because I actually have, again, that's something I talked about in my notes, is kind of having some stall material. I use it a bit differently, but I just thought it was funny that you both had mentioned stuff that I wrote down, even though we didn't share the notes, which is great to me, so. Now that you've mentioned that, I actually realized what I just answered was when I was front-loading in session uh, prep. Like, after I've gone past the front run and all that. And there is, that's exactly what it is. I come up with one or two things, uh, like, hey, this NPC traveling with the group is rather easy uh, misled, and they're very handsome. A noble has decided that they want them to kidnap. There is a number of 
mysterious disappearances in the town, and there is something that you can look into there. I, I kind of come up with uh, three-sentence uh, scenarios that will probably lead to at least an hour of content, if done correctly, or possibly more if not done. So I realized the part of my question that I didn't ask, and that should be, what what do you stall for? So, like, what would you use your stall material to keep them from doing? Uh, the uh, real thing that I... Uh, the stall material is kind of a misnomer, because I actually normally use it for whenever they are going to engage with something that is a bit random, and it's more like those module pieces I was talking about. But it's also whenever they're going in a direction that I have not mapped out yet, or something that I wouldn't want my current modules to fit into, and I don't want to give them a red herring. So instead I go, oh, well, uh, has anybody noticed that the party member who's traveling with you isn't there anymore? And then sometimes they take the bait... Or they just say, fuck that party member, and then go out to the swamp to kill Hydra. Sounds like players, for sure. I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You went to Devil Town instead, and then, you know, got scared of Devil Town, and then went to kill Hydra. Well, you introduce snakes. I don't like snakes. What are you, Indiana why would I go? Why would I go to Devil Town if there's a bunch of snakes there? Jason's already done that. There were a lot of snakes there. Jason did the snake thing. Don't you know there's crossover between <laughs> campaigns? Yeah. Unacceptable. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Michael, I have a question for you. Okay. I have one, too. <laughs> so, I know from playing with you that there is... That you take notes as you go through and you write down some of the stuff that's happening in order to remember that stuff later. When we when the game is over, do you go do a full recap? Or do you just kind of try and remember that material as you're doing your pre-session stuff later before the game starts. Usually what I do is I I use OneNote and after the session is over, I will go through and write down the main events right after the, the game session so that I have them there for the next time I come to do the prep for the next uh, session. So usually I know what's happened and then when we do a recap, I can check those things off. Then what I do is I use those notes to create the activity that would have gone on for other, from other NPCs that the characters didn't interact with that session so that I know where they are going forward. So, yeah, I, I do like to, right after the session, get my notes out of my head and back onto the page so I know what happened uh, and what the characters do. So, for example, in the uh, World of Darkness game that I ran, a lot of the stuff was written down as you guys went to each scene. So each scene that you were in, I wrote down what happened. And then I would use that information to prepare if I needed to for the next session. So each scene is how I do it. So anytime you interact with a new scene, new NPCs, I'll make notes and what you covered and what happened. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'm I'm curious to just to bounce that back. How do you guys do after the session? How do you prep for the next uh, session? Do you do it then or wait till right before the next session. I could lie and say that I do it right then, but the real truth is is that like I have done it a couple times where I've I've remembered right after the session I'm like I'm going to write this stuff down and I'll do it. It actually happened after our last session I did that exact same thing. But most of the time I'm trying to do a recap before the game starts and that is one of the worst things to do because your memory is especially if you're going 2 weeks between a game 
your memory's shot on what actually happened. I think it's best if you can write it down beforehand and then have it ready when you go to do a recap. But as far as the way you do it, your method, about using the notes to, to write that information for the session, that is exactly how I do it. Yeah, because I've noticed, I've noticed in the past, Jason, you you have written notes down as we're playing and used those for the next session. So you have done that a couple times. It's not right after the session, but it's during your making notes of, of what happened. Yeah, it's only recently, probably within the last year or so, that I've actually started writing notes during a game. And I try to, but, you know, for me, it's the same thing to me if I'm out in, like, say I'm on vacation and we're out having a bunch of fun. And then I get back home and I'm like, man, I wish I would have taken some pictures. I don't ever stop in the moment of things. And so that's how it works for me. That's why I don't take a whole lot of notes during the session. But I've tried to remind myself more often now because it does help. Jared? I used to take a lot of notes. Especially because, for me, I had this thing in the D&D campaign I was running that I didn't like how the quest DXP was done. So I basically, every sort of storyline that was going on, I remembered uh, rough steps of it, and then I would assign the XP to it. And that was a lot of note-taking. Uh, it ended up being too much, and I had to stop doing it. And then even worse, I would take notes after the session, and then they wouldn't they would actually detract from the next session because my players would suddenly do a U-turn and go somewhere else. Also, I apologize for said screaming baby. Because that's definitely coming over the mic. Yeah, yeah that was... Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking, man, we forgot to mention that at the beginning. Well, no time like the present. <laughs> we can, we um, can anyways, fix it in post. We can't, though. Um, anyways, so I actually ended up stopping taking notes because my players... Uh, would go in one direction and then after two weeks would have a change of mindset and change directions. And so for that particular campaign, I learned not to adhere too much to notes. I would mark down some things and keep a memory of them. And it works out quite well, like you said, because you have something to build off of. But unfortunately for that particular campaign, building off of notes was very difficult. So. All right. Well, I think that's that's a good cover. Uh, Jared, you said you had a question from Michael. Did you still have that question? Yep. Uh, he mentioned action at the beginning of the session. I wanted him to go into more depth of that because I know he's not just talking about, like, combat or tense situations. He's more so talking about something intriguing. So I would like him to try and go into a bit more depth of that. Just like in an episode of a TV show, there's always that kind of first cold opening type of thing. And so what I would like to do more often than not, because sometimes I don't get this opportunity, is to do a little short scenario and, and have everybody remind themselves of the character, what they were thinking, what they were doing last time. But what usually happens is I will take my notes and I will quickly review them uh, ahead of time and try to ask the players as we're getting ready to start, so you were doing this last time. Do you remember why you were doing this? You were getting ready to complete this action. Do you remember what motivated you to do this? Um, so in the last L5R session that we ran, I asked the players if they remembered what had happened the last time. And there was kind of a little bit of, yeah, I think we know what we're, we were doing. And actually nobody remembered what they were doing. So we went through a short little okay, this is what you were doing. This is what happened last time. Do you remember why you were doing this? Oh, yeah, we remember. 
and then the player that was actually off doing something unrelated to the rest of the players, we kind of did a little bit of back and forth as to what was motivating that person and what they were doing. So I think that's what I attempt to do. It doesn't always come across that way, but that's kind of how I start things off. You made me forget my damn dog. <laughs> it's not my fault. I am not responsible for what's on your character sheet. <laughs> This is Oh, the uh, dog is always on my character sheet. I have Go ahead, I have Jason, we're just bullshit. No, you're good. I I have a question for you guys. It's not I, it's not entirely related to your process, but it's a question that Michael just made me think of. So, we've been playing the Tales from the Loop and I I have to say that's how I start off all of my sessions is, "Hey, does everybody remember what happened?" And I feel like you guys in the Tales from the Loop game have actually remembered quite a bit going into play. I was wondering if some of the like home scenes where you guys set it up or some of the game material where you guys actually are responsible for setting up a lot of the material or guiding your own player immersion, do, do you think that helps at all in you remembering it? Or is it just simple material and it, <laughs> it's easier to remember? Well, I think, I think the, constr- the structure of the game setting up those home scenes and those end-of-the-session scenes actually... They act like bookends to the episode. So you have the starting thing and you know what's going on there because you remember what you did at the very end. Psychologically, our brains work in the idea that we remember the first and the last thing that we did. If you give somebody a list of items, they'll remember the first and the last one most of the time. So the way that game is structured with the bookends, I think that helps us as players remember what happened inside the bookends. Whereas when I'm running a game, I don't usually put bookends on a game, so it makes it a little easier for your game to be remembered because of that structure. Also, um, the particular session Michael was talking about, we had actually missed the session before, so it was a four-week break. Not a two week. Yeah, and that makes a big difference. Yeah, we had well, well, we. I was gonna say we had a four week break on mine as well. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I do agree with exactly what Michael was saying. Is uh, those scenes really help bookmark uh, the your placement and what you're going to do, and it gets you thinking about what you're gonna do next time before the session even ends. Like I know I've done some home scenes at the very end, which make me go, well. At the start of the next session, I'm fucked. <laughs> Jason, I know this is a little unrelated, but that structure is something that you and I have discussed in game design as to how to set up a character's session. You have the beginning of the day, you have the middle of the day, you have the evening, and then you have the overnight. That's funny. I was just thinking about that. I think setting up something like that helps the game design help the players remember things. Yeah, dividing it into a structure like that. Yeah, so that's why I was just curious. It made me think of it, and I was wondering if that had something to do with it. Anyway, there is something else I want to talk to about that I just had in my notes, and we've covered it, you know, a lot of it already, but I just wanted to maybe just look at it one more time. I wrote down some notes on what I think goes into session prep. So what things do we get ready? I mean, we've talked about NPCs. We've talked about stall material. We've talked about character development stuff. Michael talked about it a little bit. And then the other one that I had was setting, just kind of if... I was thinking more like if anything had changed as far as like 
what happened in town or any of that stuff. But one one that Jared mentioned that I didn't write down was plot lines, and that is you know changing your plot lines and and that sort of material. With those in mind, is there anything that you guys think maybe we didn't cover before I come up with another series of questions? Um, one thing that I do know that I I mentioned a little bit, it was just in passing in the beginning, and that is player aids. I think one of the things that you can do as a GM to give some information about your setting is to pass out that information to the players. I don't know if you guys want to go into depth on that, but... You give your players aids all you want. I... I have been shaking my head every time. This is the level our co- this is the level of the Bardcast. We've sunk to a whole new level. <laughs> you want to explain the origin of our name? We were never above this level, Michael. <laughs> I do not wish to discuss that until somebody in our audience asks why we're called the seventh level Bardcast. Seventh level Bardcast. <laughs> when that question is asked, I will be happy to share it. <laughs> I was trying to do my hint a little more subtly. <laughs> Michael, I'm I'm not remembering exactly what it was you said you use as player aids. Player aids. Oh, um, so in the World of Darkness game, my, my player aid um, rotated around the, the news articles. The newspaper. Yeah. And I also had a handout just to kind of give some NPCs that you guys might oh, know. Oh, yeah some notes about them so in the vampire game you knew who the prince of the city was and you knew who the 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 primogen were uh you knew who uh your contacts were through either your character or your clan or your covenant and so i had yeah that kind of information and i also had some maps if i needed to use maps we had those as well one of the things that uh, i did back when i was running DD and I didn't do it when I ran for a different group, and I wish I would have, is a list of names and who that person is. And it's, you know, in in the sense of your your game, I think it's a little bit easier because you have real names. When you're in a fantasy game and you're, like, making up these crazy names, nobody remembers who that person is because they're like, I don't know who Dingledore is or <laughs> Stubledoff. I don't remember what that guy is. I don't even remember what race he is. So that's what I I found that was so helpful, having that list of NPCs that you guys have interacted with. Jared is signaling me. The amount of times I've had to rename an NPC because nobody at the table remembers their name (laughs) is uncountable. And I am going to steal that idea from now on. Because Christ, is that important? Well, half the time I don't yeah. remember my own character's name, so how am I going to remember somebody else's <laughs> name? Yeah, I think it's so helpful. And I actually did that with Tales from the Loop. I wrote down who you guys established, and then I wrote down some NPCs that you may interact with. And then as you guys interact with different people, I've tried to keep track of who they were as well. So I think, yeah, that's super important as far as player aids go. But Jared, did you have any other ideas on things that you could use as player aids or... Oh, player aids. Well, I want to make a medical joke, but I will refrain. The thing that I use as a player aid is pictures. Mm. I have a lot of uh, digital artwork that I use to give an imagery of a city, of a character or whatnot. And sometimes I will just, rather than explain the physical traits of a person or give hints that way, I will just take a picture and say, here's what this person looks like. And then I will allow them to run with their imagination. Yeah, that's 
That's I should probably start doing that since I'm not really good at descriptions. I should start using images. I use a lot of maps, but I don't use pictures. Like uh, Michael can attest to this. I I have like 300, 400 images about just a bunch of nonsense and like 50 images of landscapes. And I kind of, whenever I feel like one is appropriate, I can just pull it out of my folder and throw it up. And I think they helped quite a lot. I don't know about Michael's opinion on them. I know one of my players didn't care for it too much, but, you know. Well, you can't make bad. everybody happy. <laughs> but I was pleased with them because they actually helped shape and, and put into my own mind what you were thinking the landscape or a person or whatever looked like. So those that don't uh, understand that kind of visual cues, sometimes they already have it in their own mind and it's easier for them to not have it interrupted by your, exactly. your visuals. And that was actually, thank you for saying that, because that was also a very key point to me, is I know for a fact, because I read a lot of books, and sometimes I'll read a book, and then I'll see an image of the character, and I'll go, wait, he has blonde hair? I've always pictured him as brown hair. <laughs> Even though at some it point is, it may have said blonde hair, you he, just skipped over that. Oh, I yeah. do that too. And it is, uh, it, for those types of things, it's not bad. Like, I don't, I don't regret my choice of hair color for my protagonist. <laughs> but um, for a game, especially when you're trying to throw out hints and whatnot, it can be quite important to make sure everyone's on the same page. So by giving everyone a shared image, it kind of superimposes that onto the character. And I know that was important for at least two characters that I made. So. Okay, I know I interrupted you by kind of making you explain your player aids, but... What other idea did you have as far as what can go into game prep? You didn't actually interrupt me. I just didn't listen to your entire question, so I got surprised <laughs> at the end. In other words, he wasn't listening to a word you said. Michael, I'm holding the stalking stick. I know you're stalking it's everybody. <laughs> Shh, don't tell them. Anyways, the thing that I think is very important for session prep isn't anything physical. It's actually your psychological space. I have narcolepsy and autism, as I've probably mentioned before, and especially with the narcolepsy, sometimes I get to a table and I'm meant to run a game and I just, I can't actually tell if I'm awake or not. And so I have to really plan ahead and fix my schedule or get an energy drink or just make sure I'm in the proper mind space to be able to engage with my players, be able to describe things, be able to interact. And that actually happens no matter what I'm doing at a table, but for being a uh, game moderator, it's incredibly important to be able to set aside work, set aside your energy levels, and focus on not only your campaign, but the people at the table with you. And that's something that some people really need to take a few hours to set their mind too and some people just naturally get in the groove as soon as they get to the table but it's something i wanted to mention michael did you have any thoughts on that well i think that that's a good thing to discuss is that each of us come and start our game in a different way but we all have those nerves of how do we get everybody around the table to pay attention to what we're saying how can we get their attention mm -hmm. so it's just like when you're having to stand up in front of your peers at work and, and discuss with them your ideas about a project or, or 
you know, talking to your friends about something uh, that you feel is very important. There's those nerves that you have in the beginning of as to, is this where I want to start this conversation? And am I sure I know what I want to talk about? So when it comes to the gaming table, I, I guarantee you every GM, no matter how much experience they have, they have those butterflies right at the beginning because they want to make sure that they're not only covering it, the fun that they've created, but also creating the fun at the table. And I'm fairly certain that this is going to probably overlap into my ideas of what we're going to discuss in the next episode. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like this is kind of that jump off point of how do you handle it to get into reading your table and, and giving your players the fun that you want to give them. Yeah. Um, I know we've talked about this before, but I definitely, I'll come to the table and I'm nervous about how my material is going to go over every time. So, although I will say that I'm, I'm less nervous about it on discord. This, I think online, online gaming is a, a little bit different for me. So I, I don't have to feel as, I don't know. I don't feel as judged <laughs> when I I'm in front of somebody in a camera as far as like if I'm in person with somebody. And, you know, I know that, that that feeling of being judged is a lot of comes from a lot of anxiety. I've learned to deal with it a lot better than I did when I was younger. Well, what I've done with that on Discord is I uh, just go ahead and put a sticky note over Jared's video and I don't feel judged anymore. <laughs> the sun is set. I'm covered in complete blackness. You don't have to have a sticky note. You can barely I'm see talking me. talking about when we're gaming, not now. Oh, okay. Um, anyways, what I wanted to touch on real quick is I actually, uh, completely forgot about the nerves aspect because I usually have to just be in the, my frame to actually, like, just talk and promote the energy and try and get everyone in the same scenario, so to speak. And then you guys talked about nerves and I went, oh yeah, I have those too. <laughs> so... Thank you for remind, reminding me of this. That's that's what I'm like here for. I've been trying to forget, and you guys reminded me. Yeah. While Michael was talking, though, I did come up with something that I actually do. I think I, I honestly, it worked out a little bit more with more mechanic-heavy games. I know I would have these things for D&D uh, &D probably more often, but um, they do come in on some of the other narrative games, like Blades in the Dark. But I'll write it uh, like a one, two, three, four however many items I want to cover, but I'll I'll make a list of items that either stuff we didn't cover in the last session or, hey, did you spend experience on this? Or if you did spend experience, what did you bump it up to? What did, And kind of cover, covering some of the mechanical aspects of the game that we may not have covered in the last session. I'll have a list of things that I want to get knocked out before we actually start in on gameplay. So is that something that anybody else does, or am I alone on that one? No, I think I do roughly the same. Uh, that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said uh, stall tactics and whatnot, because I have a lot of those strings of just set pieces, basically, that can maneuver my players as I want them. I like to have handouts for mechanics in certain games like Blades. Blades does a lot of handouts and playbooks and shows you a lot of the mechanics. But uh, the reason I like to have those is that we're not flipping through the book. We can just pick up a paper and, and read it. It helps with 
creating that table environment that we're not dependent on the books and the mechanics. We're playing a game to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. Did I uh, did I black out when you were explaining what you were doing? Uh, what you did? With no, that? I think we just each have a different idea of what we do there. I think I lost track of time. I'll be honest. Yeah, but, I think we all just okay. gave three different answers, but that's fine. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's unrelated to this topic. This is the point of the episode that I want to say something about Gary so that I know if he's listened to the episode or not. He's he given he's given me a lot of feedback on anything I've said about him directly. So at this point, I am going to say that Gary presented a very good session of Band of Blades. He was prepared as far as the new mechanics. And I want to compliment on that first session of how things were set up. So if he's listening, he can now be quiet about anything I've said about him in the past. That's funny because my reading the table material, I was actually thinking of Gary. So I was going to use him as an example later on. <laughs> oh, so, my apologies. So episode episode 12, we will also talk about Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I will not. That way, I don't spoil the surprise. So for for our audience, Gary is one of our group members, and he is also another game master. And he has run D&D, and uh, he's now running a Band of Blades game for, what, four of us now? I think there's four of us? No, there's only three. Yeah, yeah, just us yeah, three. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't three. Three. It's a brand new system. It's literally the podcast yeah, it's crew. It's a brand new <laughs> system we haven't really played with before, so we dropped it in his lap to figure it out. With that, so those are, the only one that I really thought that we should touch back in on is uh, character development. So I was curious how everyone handles some of the character development as they move through sessions and how they might prep some of the stuff for that so uh i just want to give a quick example that i know michael does and that is you know we had D session where he gave out magical items to everybody that kind of changed as our characters went up in level as they developed as characters and i was curious if there were any changes that he made on those magical items on what stuff he wanted them to do as our characters progressed michael well, that idea's kind of been floating in my brains for years. I like to have the aspect of the NPC take on a role as an item. So a lot of the times we think about NPCs being just people or or, or monsters. I, I like to have an NPC as an item. It doesn't have to have intelligence. It doesn't have to be sentient. It can just be something that pushes the story forward. And so over time, I developed this uh, idea of why can't some signature items for players evolve as they evolve? And sometimes it can happen with the story or sometimes it could happen with like in D&D. When they gain a certain level, a new power starts to uh, show itself. And so that kind of came from games where we've been playing D&D. We didn't have any other things going on. So I had to come up with creative ways to make it a little more exciting and a little more fulfilling for player development and character development. So I came up with the idea of, okay, how do you make this item different from the standard one? But it's also personalized to the development of the character. So it becomes kind of like the... Uh, the idea in Jared's game, I had a, a familiar that was evolving over levels. 
and the familiar started to develop different abilities, but he also had a personality that evolved with those things. So it's in a similar fashion. I like to use that idea. Um, I've seen other people try to use that same thing. I can't remember. There's a, there's a podcast I listened to, and he did something similar where, but his were set at levels where each tier, the weapon or item would gain a new ability. And I didn't like it to be that structured. I liked to throw it in as a story element. Right. Yeah, you just... I did something... Go ahead, Derek. I did, uh, like you mentioned, something very similar because uh, one of the things I wanted to add into that open world campaign was very much the idea of self-made evolution. So, like Michael said, he had a fairy dragon for a familiar, and it was aging by itself naturally, but he wanted it to be aging faster. So I told him a few ways he could do that, including killing creatures with magical energy and feeding them to it. Especially one time, I really liked uh, how he asked me if the demons he had recently killed, if he chopped up those and fed them to the dragon, if they would have the same growth speeding effect. And I went, yeah, sure, they would. And then he looked at me and went, are they going to taint it demonically? And I went, yeah, they will. So uh, it is very much a case of mechanical So I made sure I cooked it before I fed it to him. He did try to sterilize them, I believe. But it's also very much driven by the narrative and the story that the players choose to engage with. Like, he could have found a lot of natural plants or crystals with natural energy or some sort of elemental energy and given it to the dragon to try and push its evolution in that way, rather than just speeding its growth up. And in fact, he was considering doing that with something else I gave him. Which is uh, another topic that will be very long, and this has gone on long enough, so. <laughs> well, it was funny when I passed that over to Michael, as soon as he started talking to him, I was like, oh, wait, I've done a similar thing, too. I've done it with the powers, where I give you guys, who I, when we were starting D&D campaigns, I'd be like, hey, can you get me a backstory? I want to take some of that information about your character and turn that into some personalized effects, but... On that same note, I I started using those concepts, and then when I wrote my Bleak Rising game, I used that same concept in your guys's the way you develop spells and abilities on your own, so that you can take and you can make something your personalized effect that only you do. So, like, we take the example of Seth did something really it was comical and it was brilliant and it would just it was a great effect that he used he created a demon on a stick and he would (laughs) take this shadow power and imbue it into this stick and it would become this little demon that he could control that was a personalized spell that only he would use and so when i wrote my game and when i play my games i want my players to be able to have those personalized things and so you know all of the things that you guys are talking about i think is really important to put into your games for character development jared on this note i haven't looked at my character for bleak rising at all michael so i'll make sure to get finish that and get that to you by tomorrow (laughs) shame on you shame i've been wanting to get to mine like so badly but i have had such a rough week but thank you 
But I do have most of my background written out. I'm just working on my sort of foreground or whatever uh, you want to call it. Nah, so you have your background in your old it. life. But anyway, I have my old life stuff written out, but not my background. Yeah. Uh, that's a rant on a different subject. There is one other thing that well, no. I wanted to talk about. Okay. I'll let you finish. But it's on this, it's on this same okay. subject. It was something okay. that I tried to use and didn't work. And I didn't know if we maybe we weren't ready for it yet or... What? But I don't know if you guys remember when I tried to use the narrative cards. I actually found them recently, and I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, there they are. Only one of them got used, but it was a set of cards. I I have mine right here. Oh, wow. Uh, It was a set of cards, and you would get a bonus. It was set up for D&D, so you'd get a bonus if you described a part of the scene or... A history of something or an NPC. Basically, if you created an element in the world, then I would give you the narrative card and you would gain that bonus. And Scott is the only one I remembered using it, but... Uh, oh, Jared, I know what you're talking about. That's different than what I'm talking about right yeah, now. Yeah, I was going to say, I yeah, don't no. think I'm talking about the same thing. I, just as you're looking at me, I was like, no, I know what he's talking about. That's different. No, but I, Scott was the only one who used it because you guys were like trying to go down this river and you couldn't figure out a way to get across it because the water was just so hectic. And he was like, oh, I remember this bridge that it crossed back there. And he created a bridge in the world. And so I gave him a card and, you know, it would give you things like advantage or an extra spell slot or something along those lines. It was something that I tried to use to draw people into the narrative. And I think that maybe that more falls into a player aid. It didn't end up working, but I feel like now that we've developed our narrative skills a lot more, I think if I were to bring those in now, you guys would be like on top of it because we're way more developed in our shared narrative. I've had a thought on that while you were talking about it. Your game, Tales from the Loop, uh, allows you to introduce items or situations where you can get a bonus. That might be a good way to introduce that idea, that concept. I. Actually, I think that would be really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much the way the concept works. If Well, maybe if... Yeah, no, because I'm supposed to put the items. But if you guys were to introduce the items, then you would get the bonus off of that item. And I could just say, yeah, you've added to the narrative. Yeah, motivate the players yeah, it's a good to concept. help. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But that's all I have for stuff. So, Jared, you had a thought that you wanted to get back to. Do you remember it? Uh, yes, yeah, so it was on the interruption uh the session prep for you know this sunday's game about how thank you jason for not uh leaving me alone and you know not doing anything for my character but uh one of the things i wanted to quickly iterate is while i actually do have pretty much everything about my character done none of it's on paper and for some people that's actually fine for me it is not if I don't have something written down, it is very easily to be forgotten. It's very easy to... So when you are session prepping, just kind of keep in mind your own limitations. Like your own memory, your own note-taking abilities and all that. And just try to walk around your own flaws and, you know... That's... Anything you're good at, make that sure That actually do. brings up a thought of something. I don't know if we've mentioned this or maybe it's just been hidden away. But looking to your players to give you some feedback or suggestions on their characters might be something that you would consider during the session prep. Looking to characters in Bleak Rising, I really depend on the players to give me their background and and their history so that I can develop the story around what they're supposed to be looking for. 
and what their motivations are. So I think that's part of your session prep. I, not to toot my own horn here, because I'm not real big on that, but I have to say, I have to say, I was explaining the rules to Liz, right? Because she wanted a layout of how to use the mechanics. She's played in the game before, but never really understand how they tie together. Because she's not, you know, I mean, she's not a gamer, like, constantly like we are. So her understanding of game concepts isn't as fine-tuned as ours. So I gave her a layout of the game, and as I was explaining it, I was realizing how much my game rewards players for adding to the narrative. There's so much material in there that's like, if you do add this part to the narrative, you get this reward. And it's without, I think, even probably most of it went into the game without me thinking about how they would tie together more just how I wanted things to go in gameplay and they ended up tying together so I was like amazed at my own (laughs) work and uh again like I said I'm not trying to brag I was just like I blew my own mind and (laughs) I just was wondering if you guys had caught any of those concepts that's something we Uh, can discuss later Go ahead, Jared. Sorry. Honestly, it's something I actually really want to discuss, too, because I don't know if you know this, Jason, but I am actually working on, I think, three different game projects in the background now. And one of them, I've hit a stalling point of, I just don't really know how I want it all to fit together, how I want to start making the mechanics for it and all that, and I've kind of hit a roadblock. So if you want to go chat about fucking Bleak Rising sometime, your creation of it, I would love to. Yeah, yeah, we could do that for sure. Hold that thought until we get to that episode. Oh, yeah, we have one coming Let's up. Let's record that episode out of order. Yeah, because I think that Bleak Rising, in our playtest of it, it encourages, or at least at the time, encouraged each of us to come up with aspects of not only our character but the world and kind of forced us in, to engage in a fun way, not only how to play our characters but also to to develop the world as we went along. And I think that came from the mechanics and the the setting that you had built up around us yes yeah it's kind of it's kind of weird looking through it and being like wow i did not intend that but it works perfectly (laughs) i also just one last thing i want to say is i love the old life versus new life scenario that every character starts with and how uh those two interact and affect your character I'm not going to go into too much detail or whatnot, but <laughs> right, right. I really love what you did with the character creation, especially how the, the archetypes, classes, or whatever uh, ethos. work with your character creation. Yes, your ethos work with character creation. I really like um, just how it all plays out. All right. Anyways. <laughs> now that we've talked about Bleak Rising again. Yeah, now that <laughs> we've been off topic for like eight minutes. Is there anything else that you guys think goes into game prep, or do you think we, we pretty well covered the topic? No, I think we've covered it pretty well. I, we we haven't mentioned how many dice you need, but everybody needs more dice. There was something... Michael said something, and it made me remember something that I wanted See, to talk I, about. See, I have something... Then you talk about it. One before. thing I was actually thinking of, Michael, you know, talked about player aids, and I think it was you, Jared, that initially brought it up, but then he talked about it, is have character sheets, have... Yeah, it was you, Jared, that you brought up, like, you need paper, like... Have those things ready for sure. I think that's definitely part of game prep. Make sure that you have all the materials that the players are going to need in order to play the game and have, you know, some... I think cheat sheets are good. 
quick looks at the mechanics so that we can just look at them really quick and those kind of things. But that was all I was going to throw in. Have extra dice in case somebody forgot theirs. <laughs> That's true, too. Definitely. Or in case somebody doesn't have a dozen fucking D10s. Or somebody shows up and doesn't realize that they're playing a D6 game and they have <laughs> they have D&D sets. And <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> That's why I have plenty Michael? of dice here. Plenty of dice. Okay, so Jared, if you didn't think of it, I'm gonna have do Michael do the wrap up. I wanna. What did you last talk about, Michael? Because it was something directly related to that right before we went on the bleak uh, rising spiel. Oh, I remember what it is. It was player feedback that we were talking about, which led to the discussion of bleak rising. So from this point, talk about it. So Michael mentioned earlier player feedback. A lot of times we'll ask afterward. Uh, comments, questions, and concerns. Or questions, comments, concerns, whatever. Order. And getting player feedback and player interaction to prepare in the future. And that's something I don't do very well as a player. So I wanted to just say to all the players out there, just give your DM something. Don't just tell him he's doing a good job or, yeah, you like what's going on. Just actually force yourself to come up with a single sentence about the scenario of your character that will give your GM something to move forward with. Yeah. Because I often don't get that. and Well, I got it back it can be difficult. from you guys at the end of uh, The Last Tales from the Loop, which is cool. Like, I, I really normally don't get much feedback, and I was like, you know, Jared had feedback on what he wanted to see in some of the mysteries going forward, and... There were other notes that I wrote down, but I forgot. But, uh, like, I got real feedback from all of you guys, and I was like, oh, that was awesome. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Players, give your GMs feedback. And not just, oh, this is good, let's continue, or, yeah, I like what you're doing. Give them actual accountable things. Yeah. Um, What is helpful for players when you ask about feedback is to ask an open question, not... So, did you like the session? Ask them to say, hey, did this work for you? Um, how do you think this would have worked better? Give them open-ended questions so that they, they know what you're looking for. It kind of leads them into giving you some information. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes how you ask the question will help. Also, it will give you a lot of people, for example, when Michael was developing Will, he wasn't, like Michael does, he didn't know what the character was for about 12 uh, sessions. However, eventually I gave him something and it was like a the blood of a phoenix or something like that to inject into his veins and he took that option and he started really focusing and wanting to develop that so he started talking to me about things that he was doing in the background and it really allowed me to take that uh, aspect of his character and further it. So it's not just about the uh, session or whatnot, but that's also a great way to make sure your character is developing the way you want it to by giving the GM uh, feedback on where you want to go, even if it's not during a session. Yep, definitely and valid. I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we're going to pass it over to Michael to give us a wrap-up on this. I think we, gave, we covered I'm everything really well. Really, uh, Last-minute interruption, so... Uh, <laughs> and we got it out of the way <laughs> before the wrap-up. <laughs> um, so I think... What we've covered today with uh, session prep is the idea of what we want to go into the session 
and being prepared to continue the story, share the narrative with our players so that they don't have to spend 15, 20 minutes wondering where things are. You've prepped it enough to have a jump off point. You've prepped it enough to have your uh, mechanical aids, gaming aids, however you want to um, categorize them. You've got your idea of what's happening as far as the NPCs and how they're interacting with the story and the players. You've looked at your notes from the previous session, and you are prepared to make the step from the former session into your new session as if no time has passed, that you're ready to just jump right into it and you know where you they were and where they're going. So the most important thing for session prep is give them, as the players, give them what they want for fun and be prepared for any curveballs they throw at you. Because if you're prepared... They'll be. They won't even notice if you've you've thrown things off. So I think going into this session, you'll uh, give them everything that they want and continue the narrative that the players will enjoy. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. That uh, that covered everything well. So all right. Well, next time we'll be talking about reading the table and. I think it very nicely ties into this episode, even though originally I wasn't sure if it would, but I think we've done a good job at setting it up. So we will, you guys will hear from us next time. So this has been Jason. This has been Michael. And this has been Jared. Bye-bye. This has been a production of 7th Level Bardcast. Copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to 7th Level Bardcast. You can find links to previous shows, resources, and our social media at 7thLevelBardcast.com. Also, through our Discord link on the website, we invite our audience to join us to offer feedback or suggest a topic, or for a quick conversation. If you wish to support the show, like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. Music provided by Arthur Venke.